0: You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes as Senior Minister Adam Hale continues our sermon series, Family Matters. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. Thank you, Ray. And let me just say, Happy Mother's Day to all of our moms out here. Uh, We are glad that you are here with us today, and Moms, you play such an integral part of our lives, and uh, so we just want to take a moment just to say thank you. You probably don't hear it enough. You're probably not told thank you enough. You probably aren't told that you're appreciated enough, so we just want you to, say, to know that we, we love you, we appreciate you, we thank you. And as a special way of saying thanks, uh, some of our elementary kids put together this little video, so would you watch this? So moms, if you didn't know it before that video, I hope that you know now that you all are awesome and that we love you and we just want to say thank you. We also want to make a, a special welcome to our one of our first time guests, Bo, is in the house today for the first time and so we're glad to have Bo with us. And uh, Bo's what, about three weeks old now? Six weeks. S- six weeks, okay, I'm a little behind, but six weeks, so see that's how fast time goes. Today we're in part three of our series, Family Matters, and over the last couple of weeks we've been talking about this idea of intentional parenting, and we're going to continue talking about that as well, but uh, I just do want to remind you real quickly about what Bobby said in in the announcements about graduate recognition next Sunday, Um, so if you haven't gotten that information to Bobby yet that you need to get to him, please do that as soon as possible because next Sunday... Um, not only are we going to recognize our graduates, but the message we're going to we're going to specifically talk to those who are moving into the next phase of life. Whether you're graduating and you're moving into the next phase of life, or you're a parent of someone who's moving into that phase, or or maybe a grandparent, a family member, um, we specifically want to talk to that group, and so we want you to be here as a part of our graduate recognition. But the last few weeks, we've talked about specific actions that we can take to be more intentional in our parenting. Uh, and intentional parenting is the opposite of quick-fix parenting. Uh, quick-fix parenting, if you'll remember, we said is, is basically anything that we do that is just designed to stop the, the pain that's caused by that behavior. Not necessarily to correct the behavior, just to stop the pain that is caused by the behavior. Think of it like, um, like duct tape. And if you cut your hand... And you, you need some stitches in your hand, and you don't have time to go to the hospital, so you get some duct tape, and you wrap your hand up in that duct tape. Well, that'll fix the problem momentarily. And, and Sam, you laugh, but I have seen people do this. It will fix the problem momentarily. But eventually, you've got to take that duct tape off, right? And, and your hand's not healed. And when you take that duct tape off, it hurts. It's going to rip skin and rip, rip hair, and it, it's not going to feel good. It will leave a lasting impression but it will leave an impression of something that you don't want to repeat. And that's what quick fix parenting at its core is about. We want to be intentional parents where we've thought about how we're going to respond and react to our kids in in certain situations and in everyday life situations. We want to use encouraging words to build our kids up. And uh, I told somebody this morning in first service that they should go back and listen to the message last week about encouraging words, because they told me this morning that I look like I could be the love child of Tim Isaacs and Jeff Key. <laughs> and I didn't know what was worse, the idea that Tim and Jeff would have a love child or that I was it. <laughs> Tim, I'll tell you who said that later, but it was your friend. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to continue in our in our idea of, of these principles and actions. We're going to talk about two. And the two principles actions that we're going to talk about this morning, I think specifically moms do better than dads. So moms, this is kind of your day to shine. It's Mother's Day. This is your day to shine. Where The sermon, I promise, is not going to beat you up and tell you what a lousy mom you are because you're not. You're a great mom. And in the two things that we're going to talk about today, I think moms actually do a lot better than dads do. Now, if you've ever taken a class in psychology or sociology or child development, you have learned about the desperate need that children have for affection. Actually, that's a need that all of us have. We, we all have a need for, a, for affection. But it certainly begins in our younger years. In fact, it actually begins the moment we are born. The moment we are born, we, we uh, begin to crave what social scientists call skin hunger. And what that means is that we just crave physical touch. We need affection, and and that hunger must be fed in appropriate ways, or its deficit will lead to some some very serious emotional imbalances. Study after study reveals that that affection actually helps shape a child's brain. Uh, Did you know that that in babies, the part of the brain that is involved in controlling emotions or uh, paying attention to others or expressing empathy is not something that is developed automatically. In fact, it's developed in response to a baby's social uh, experiences. So the way that a, a baby grows up, if it grows up in a, in a warm and loving f- uh, physical environment, they felt that physical love and warmth. They, those babies, as they get older, they show s- uh, higher self-esteem, better communication, uh, and fewer psychological and behavioral problems. On the flip side of that, uh, insufficient affection can lead to feelings of alienation and hostility and lower self-esteem and aggression and and can cause some antisocial and very risky behaviors. Now, the good news is that most of us love to snuggle our babies. Most parents love to snuggle their babies. Even as they move into a toddler age, we're still good about about, hugging on them and and those kind of things. Um, I've I've witnessed this a couple times this morning Um, in first service. Uh, we had a, a very small baby, just a couple of weeks old, brought in. And as soon as the, the mom walked in the door, all these women, I, don't, I, I hesitate to call them vultures, but that's kind of what it reminded me of. They just flocked to her. And like they were trying to see who was going to hold the baby. I've noticed this morning over here that kind of the same thing's going on. There's who's going to hold the babies, right? That's, that's okay. That's a good thing. Because babies need that, that physical affection. Unfortunately, data suggests that as kids get older, parents typically withdraw from expressing affection. As your child gets older, it becomes more difficult to to show them affection. They don't want you to show them affection. And, And so there's this change that takes place. Parents begin to rely more on words to communicate how they feel than actual physical touch. And men, we're already at a disadvantage. When it comes to affection statistically and stereotypically, Women have a much easier time showing affection than men do. Now, maybe you were you were brought up in a home like I was, where it was for for your dad to hug you or something like that. It 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 just it was awkward. Uh, It was it was more it wasn't masculine to to hug hug uh, another guy to to show that kind of physical affection. And so maybe you did other things. Maybe you shook hands. But, but as you, you know, you just didn't hug your dad. It was an awkward thing, especially for boys. This could be why we rarely ever see when a child gets hurt that they call for dad. When, when, when your kid gets hurt and they come running in the kitchen door, hollering for help, who are they hollering for? Mom, every time. Why? Because dad doesn't care, right? No, not because dad doesn't care. But because dad is usually much better with his words, or at least he thinks he is. He'll say things like, you know, shake it off. You know, don't cry. You know, walk it off. Just put some ice on it. You know, go to, go to the refrigerator and get some ice and, and put on it. And while you're there, bring me back something to drink, right? <laughs> and while children need positive words like what we talked about last week, they also need physical affection in, in good times and in bad times. Jesus modeled physical affection so well for us. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus took the time to show affection to small children. This is what it says beginning in verse 13. It says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. Notice here immediately, parents are being very intentional. They're bringing their kids to Jesus. They're being intentional about their kids meeting Jesus. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are, who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them before he left. Jesus, obviously a busy guy, right? And the disciples think he's busy. He's he's got thousands to feed. He's got miracles to perform. He's got uh, dead people to raise, lame people to make walk, blind people to make see. And, And the disciples think he doesn't have any time for these little kids. But Jesus very intentionally makes time for children. I can imagine that that in that setting, Jesus probably picked picked one or two of them up and set them on his knee and he began to tell a story. Can you imagine the stories that Jesus might have been able to tell to a little child? Can you imagine Jesus maybe telling the story of what what earth looked like before God put the stars in the sky? How how awesome would it be to hear that kind of story told from the lips of Jesus? In Mark chapter 5, Jesus visits the home of Jairus and he finds that the daughter of Jairus has died. And so what's Jesus do? He goes into the home, and he grabs hold of the the little girl's hand. He holds her hand, and he raises her back to life. Could Jesus have raised the girl from the dead uh, without touching her? Sure. He could have done it without even going to the home. He could have simply said, you know, Jairus, your daughter's going to be alive now, and she would have been. In fact, uh, in John chapter 11, Jesus goes to the tomb of one of his best friends, and he doesn't go in the tomb. He just stands outside and says, hey, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus is raised back from the dead. But here Jesus goes in, and he holds the little girl's hand. Can you imagine how frantic a little girl might have been when she was literally about to be woken from a dead sleep? How there might not have been anybody there? How how confused and, and upsetting that might have been? And yet Jesus, knowing this, goes in and he holds her hand so that as soon as she's brought back to life, as soon as she comes out of this dead sleep, she's immediately met. the calming presence of Jesus. Jesus understood the value of touch. And while that need certainly begins in childhood, it certainly doesn't end in childhood. As adults, we crave physical touch. Matthew 8 records an encounter that Jesus had with a man who had leprosy. Leprosy is, if if you've been in church uh, very long, you know what leprosy is because I don't know why we do this, but leprosy is always one of the things that we talk about in Sunday school with our kids. We teach them about leprosy I don't understand that but we do it's some of the Bible stories that we teach our kids at a very young age when you think about them they're maybe not all that great stories that we want to teach our kids at that early of, of an age and so we teach our kids about leprosy and leprosy as you probably know was a very contagious skin disease that was often thought to be spread through touch so in ancient times a person that had leprosy was excommunicated from society they would be forced to leave their home and and go live in what was called a leper colony. I tend to think that the social uh, punishment that came with contracting leprosy was often way worse than the actual disease of leprosy. And so they would leave their homes and they'd go live in these colonies and they would have very little to no outside contact with the outside world. They would have very little to no contact with other people. They would have to, to wear bells. If they were given the opportunity to go back into town and to be among, to be among people, they would, they would be given bells to carry, and so they would ring the bell so people would hear them coming, and they would know to avoid them. Or if they didn't have a bell, they would have to walk while they were walking through town yelling, unclean, unclean, so people would hear them and stay away from them. Certainly nobody was going to go give them a handshake. Which is what makes what happens in Matthew chapter 8 so interesting. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Begins large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. And suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Notice here that the news by this point of what Jesus has been doing has traveled, you know, he's, he's done a few miracles by this point, and news has gotten around even to the leper colonies. And so this man, knowing that his only hope of ever being a part of society again, of ever being healed from this awful disease, his only hope is to find this man they call Jesus. And so he hears about where he's at, and, and he, he, he interrupts Jesus. He stops the flow of traffic. He, he gets in his way. And says the man approached him and knelt before him, and he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me. Make me clean. I think the man was probably expecting for Jesus to say, okay, you're healed. Be clean. But notice what Jesus does. It says Jesus reached out, and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Notice Jesus touches him before he heals him. The man still has leprosy when Jesus reached out and touched him. The man was, was contagious still at this point. And Jesus, knowing the value of touch, knowing that this man hadn't had a hug, hadn't had a handshake, not a pat on the back in a very long time, reached out and touched him and said, Be healed. Jesus understood the value of touch. Intentional parents understand the, the value of affection in the lives of their children, so they make the extra effort. And I get it. It's easy when our, when our kids are small to, to hug them and, and snuggle them and give them all that, all that kind of physical touch that they need. And as they get older, it becomes more difficult. I'm the parent of, a, of two middle school boys. They do not want me to hug them, at least not in public anyway. Uh, they, in fact, they want very little interaction with me on on a lot of days quick fix parents give up when their attempts at affection are met with resistance and so as kids get older uh, that affection it may need to change the mode but the regularity has to stay the same you have to keep up with the regularity so we've had to find different ways for me to to interact with my boys they don't want me to hug them in public it embarrasses them so sometimes I hug them in public anyway but now, because, because of that, we fist bump. That's the way that I inter- physically interact with my kids. When they're getting out of the car, going somewhere, I drop them off, we fist bump. When they go to bed, most often, more nights than not, that's what they get from me. They get a fist bump. They'll still hug their mama, ma- mainly because she makes them. But, but that's just the, what we have had to do. We've had to, had to change the way. I've had to change the way that I physically interact with my kids. Intentional parents understand that the mode might have to change, but the frequency remains. One of the ladies that we eat lunch with uh, out at McDonald's, um, some of you will know her as Pity. She was telling us uh, a couple weeks ago that as her grandsons got older, they got in that teenage years, that they didn't want to hug Grandma anymore. It was awkward and weird for them to hug Grandma, and so so they stopped. But Pity wasn't going to let that happen. They weren't going to get away with that. And so she said, well, all right, boys, what do you all want to do? If you don't want to hug, what do you want to do? Do you want a handshake? And so every time when, when the boys came to visit Grandma, when they got there, they got a handshake. And when they left, they got a handshake. Now, as they've gotten older, they've gone back to hugging Grandma. But, but that was intentional parenting or grandparenting in this instance. She understood that there still needed to be some physical touch because intentional parents understand that you might have to change, but the frequency has to stay. The second thing I want to talk about this morning is that intentional parents understand that kids need a peaceful home. Kids need a peaceful home in order to help them escape the chaos that encircles their world. That chaos can be anything from, from choosing friends to pleasing friends to avoiding friends, from peer pressure and bullying and school to school and general grades and Uh, assignments that that are due assignments that they don't understand how to do and just a whole host of other things in short being a kid these days just isn't easy and so they need a place that is a shelter from the storms if you think that things are the same as they were when you were a kid can I encourage you to spend a little more time in the life of kids because you will quickly find that it's not Kids today face so many different things that we never had to face. And I'll be honest with you, I like to think that I'm still young enough that things are still pretty similar. But as I get older and each day goes, I learn that I'm not. Uh, Things have changed a lot. And that's not to say that, you know, we didn't have tough stuff and have to deal with a lot of stuff or that we didn't do stupid things. But we didn't have social media to to post all over the world about it. All, All the world didn't have to know about all the stupid things that I did as a kid. Kids today have to deal with so much more than we we may have even ever thought about, mainly because the technology wasn't invented for us to have to worry about it. The world of today's children uh, children and teenagers is often filled with very painful battles. In addition to all the stereotypical ones that I just mentioned, they also battle comparison issues every time they turn on the TV or every time they pick up their phone and they look at their social media, they're being compared to somebody else. These types of battles, they're they're unavoidable. But if a child knows that he or she's going home to a safe and peaceful environment, they can better handle all the stress. They can better handle all the pressure and the comparisons and and the put-downs and the temptations that surround their lives. They know that pretty soon they'll be going home to a place that is both peaceful and safe. Now, when we think of, of peaceful, we think of quiet and calm and serene, right? Well, a peaceful home is probably none of those things because if you have kids a peaceful home is not quiet but a peaceful home doesn't have to be quiet it can be though and a peaceful home is these things it is discipline without screaming and yelling it's an environment that is welcoming to friends i i love that my kids friends want to come over to our house and hang out i love that It it means our house is never quiet and there's never enough food but but the kids are there and they know that they're welcomed Words of, a peaceful home is is a home that where words of encouragement are gathered are offered rather than critical comments. Where warm and consistent affection is shown. Where our, a, a peaceful home is is one where parents express love for one another and display a secure marriage. Parents, one of the best things that you can do for the future of your kids is to show them what a healthy marriage looks like. A peaceful home is is a home where kids are free from being compared to their other siblings a place where kids can be themselves and they don't have to pretend. There, there are lots of reasons why homes lack peace. It could be for a number of reasons. Maybe it could be because of marriage issues between mom and dad and, and kids pick up on those things. They sense those things and it creates pressure and, and, and anxiety and stress. It could be because of some external issues, maybe uh, a job that's going for mom and dad that's not going so well or maybe the lack of a job. Maybe it's financial stress or, or an illness. And all of those things, they create chaos and a lack of peace for adults. And that trickles down to children. But that's not the primary reason why kids face chaos at home. You want to know what causes a lack of peace for kids in the home? Studies show that one of the greatest stressors, one of the greatest stressors in the life of a child at home is the fear of not being accepted. At home the fear of not being accepted, not at school, not in their social circles, but at home. That's heartbreaking that kids would fear that they wouldn't be accepted at home. Intentional parents are very purposeful in communicating acceptance to each of their kids, to all of their children. Now, your kids may be very different from one another. Mine are. You might have a a mini-me for you and your spouse might have a mini-me, and, and then you might have a child where you just go, I don't know whose parents they, they belong to because I don't recognize this kid. But throughout the various stages of, of a kid's life, they will battle the question, am I, accept, am I going to be accepted here? Am I going to be accepted here? That question, it will, it will be the question that they ask growing up, and it will be the question that moves with them into adulthood. It will be the question that they ask when when they get into high school. Am I going to be accepted in in this social circle? Am I going to be accepted at my job? Am I going to be accepted anywhere? And guess what, church? They're asking that question about here as well. They're asking, am I going to be accepted at church? Intentional parents and intentional churches must wisely allow and nurture children to become who God created them to be. Not necessarily who we think they ought to be or who we want them to be, but who God created them to be. You may or may not have a future professional athlete on your hands. Or maybe a famous musician or actor. Uh, Your child just may not grow up to be one of those like you always wanted them to. You may need to let go of some of your own dreams and, and stop pushing your children to be who you want them to be. And instead accept them. And appreciate them for being the people who God has created them with their own own uniqueness and with their own giftedness. Even if those gifts don't match your hopes and dreams. And let me say something about this from a different perspective. I want want to stop being Adam the preacher for a moment and be Adam the sports official. For the last 17 years, I've been referee in high school baseball and basketball. And over those 17 years, I have seen literally thousands of kids play a great game. And out of all of the kids that I've ever seen, you want to know how many, how many of those kids I have seen move on to play at a professional level? In basketball, one. And she played about a year and a half in the women's NBA league. And in, at the baseball level, two. Two out of literally thousands of kids. And they never made it above the minor league level. All I'm saying is that while, yeah, sports may be great and they're important, and I love sports, don't get me wrong on that, I love sports. But as parents, we've got to nurture things that have eternal value. We've got to build things that have eternal value. And and realistically, things that are going to have future value. Yeah, your kid may get their education paid for through sports, and and if they do, great. But after that, what's it going to do for them? Let's nurture things that have, have realistic future value and eternal value. The point, the point that I'm trying to make is, in all of this is that children need to be accepted by their parents, not have their parents try to live through them. I've seen it far too many ball fields and far too many basketball courts where mom and dad try to push their dream through their kid because it didn't happen for them. Let's don't do that. Let's nurture things of eternal value. You need to accept your your kids because you are the most important people in their lives. There's nobody more important in the life of, of a child than their parents. And so they need to know that they are accepted from you. Acceptance builds confidence. And because of that, they'll take greater risk at things that they love and possibly find greater success there. Acceptance in your home is an instrumental action in having peaceful homes. If you want to have a peaceful home, you have to accept your kids. So why is this so difficult sometimes? Why, why is this such a difficult thing? Because when you hear this, it sounds like, okay, yeah, that, that's common sense, right? This is something that everybody should do or is doing, but it's not. So why is it so difficult? Well, one factor that often keeps peace at a distance is when parents make their parenting decisions based on what other people might think or what other people might how other people might view them as parents. Basically, they parent from a a place of fear or anticipation of other people's opinions of them as parents. And that's called performance parenting. And it quenches any movement toward peace. This type of parenting, it will not provide peace. It will deeply wound your children. But it will not provide peace. If you parent in order to, to look good or you're overly concerned about how other people will, will think about you or, or how your kids might make you look, then you are wounding your child or if you suddenly pressure your kids to perform a certain way with the thought that if they succeed, then it will make me look better. You're wounding very deeply your children. That type of parenting, again, it will not produce peace. It will display all the insecurities of a parent, and it will create a shame and pressure-filled environment, but it will not produce peace. So what's the answer? How do we, how do we get peace-filled homes? If you want a peace-filled home, if you want to create a peace-filled home, then you first must become a peace-filled person. The biblical word for peace is often translated as an absence of war. To live as a peace-filled person means that you aren't at war. You're not at war with God. You're not at war with others. You're not at war with yourself. That's the essence of peace. And I get it, maybe war might seem like too strong of a word. Maybe, maybe it is, but the Bible teaches that because of our sinful nature, we are separated from God. And sin is another way of just saying that we choose to do things our own way instead of God's way. And when we choose to do things our way, we become separated from God. When we do things our way, it's like we go to war against God. The good news is that God has made a way for that war to be won. He required Jesus to, to die on the cross and to, to pay for our sins, a price for our sin that we could not on our own pay. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can have a personal relationship with God. Notice what Paul writes in Colossians 1:20. He says, "And through him, being Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself, he, being God, made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross." You know why that's important? Because we are on earth. God made peace with everything in heaven and on earth, and we are on earth. And if you've never settled the relationship between you and God, can can I just encourage you to investigate the the claims of Jesus? Can I just encourage you to investigate uh, the promise that Jesus makes about bringing you peace? I'm not saying that you have to believe anything right now. We're not even to that point. Could, Could you just investigate it? Just look for yourself. And see if the promise that, uh, of peace that Jesus offers is true or not. Because if you want peace in your home, you first need peace in your heart. One of the great biblical promises connected to having a personal relationship with God is, is the promise of His presence. And that, gift, uh, that pre- gift of His presence, it arrives through the Holy Spirit. And it's one of the results of of the Holy Spirit living in our life is peace. Uh, Paul writes in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is peace. He also writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, he says, But letting the Holy Spirit control your minds leads to life and peace. With God's presence in our lives, we can count on Him to help us transform our quick-fix parenting into intentional parenting. Because of the power and the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, You have the potential to have peace within and peace with others and peace with God. And ultimately, you can become the initiator of peace within your home. Your kids need a peaceful home. Your kids need that physical affection. And that peaceful home, it starts with your heart. Women, I think you all do a great job. You all are fantastic ladies. You all are fantastic moms. And, and this may be an area where you all just, you're you're above and beyond. Men, this is an area that at least I know for me that I often struggle in. And I think for most men, this is an area where we struggle in. So let me encourage you to be intentional about loving on your kids and your grandkids. Even if they don't want you to, find a different way to. And, and let me encourage you to be intentional about creating a peaceful place where your kids can come to that's safe from all of the outside pressures of the world. Because there's plenty of them. The world's full of way too many pressures. The last place that they need that kind of pressure is at home. So let me encourage you to be, to be a, a, a parent that makes a home a safe and peaceful place for your kids. Where they know that they're going to be loved on. No matter how old, how old they are, or what they've done. You're going to love them because they're your kids and you're an intentional parent. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And uh, we thank you for the way in which you have modeled these things for us. Thank you for the way in which you have modeled affection and the way in which you have modeled uh, uh, peace. The, the promise that you give us the, of peace that surpasses all knowledge, that surpasses all understanding. Father, we, we long for that kind of peace in our lives and in our homes. Father we thank you for our kids and thank you for giving us the privilege and the responsibility to love them and to raise them. Father we thank you for our mothers who just do an outstanding job who are so many times more like you than we are and so father we just we, we thank you for the gift of moms father I just I simply ask that you would put on our hearts the need to be intentional parents the need to be an intentional church where where we love kids where we seek kids we we chase after kids we make time for kids because the rest of the world won't and they're counting on us so father help us to be the the people that, that we need to be the church that we need to be the parents and grandparents and and aunts, uncles, and, and family members that we need to be. Father, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.